Hi, this is Jill Harrison, Executive Director of the National Institute on Aging Impact Collaboratory at Brown University. Welcome to the Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speakers and ask them the interesting questions that you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of the companion Grand Rounds content can be found at impactcollaboratory.org. Thanks for joining. Hey, I'm Susan Mitchell, co-leader of the NIA Impact Collaboratory. Last week, I hosted our inaugural Grand Rounds, and I'll do the same today for a related podcast. I can't think of a better way to start our Grand Rounds and podcast series than with the talk, Are You Ready for a Pragmatic Trial, the RAP Model, and Implementation Considerations? And this was presented by Eric Jakovitz and Rosa Beyer. And I've got Rosa and Eric here with me today. Welcome. Hi, Susan. Thank you. Hello. All right. So um, in the field of pragmatic trials, the PRESI-2 has sort of been the foundational framework on which investigators tend to think about the design of their trials. But the RAP model's different, um, albeit it's related to PRESI-2. It even looks a bit the same with the diagram visually with the wheels and the spokes. But Eric, can you explain um, to us why you felt the need for the RAP model uh, layered onto the PRESI-2, how they're related, different, and complement each other? Sure. So um, I think it also is helpful to think about the NIH stage model, which sort of positions behavioral-based interventions along their pipeline of development, and it goes from something like stage zero or stage one, which is basic idea generation all the way up to stage five, which is um, implementation uh, dissemination. And between that, um, stage one and stage five are sort of um, various levels of tef- testing, efficacy testing, which um, many non-drug behavioral-based interventions have been through. Um, and after efficacy testing, there's sort of the pragmatic trial phase. Uh, and as you said, the, the Pressy tool has been around for a long time, and it helps us understand how our sort of study design posi- uh, decisions position the study design along that stage model. Uh, and so our design decisions can make a study more or less pragmatic. Uh, and the more sort of explanatory a study design is, um, the more it falls into the stage two, stage three setting of um, the stage model. And the more sort of um, pragmatic it is, the, the more the study design falls in towards sort of a pragmatic trial or stage four. Um, again, Pressy is about understanding how your design decisions impact where you lie on that continuum. Um, but it doesn't say anything about whether or not you're ready to make the leap from, say, a um, explanatory study to a pragmatic study. And so um, from our perspective, I think that was the big limitation uh, in the literature and, and a challenge and a struggle that um, people are thinking about. When is my intervention or a intervention um, ready to be tested in a pragmatic trial? And so that's really what RAPT tries to, to do. It seeks to fill that gap um, and help investigators um, decision makers, policymakers, whoever it may be, understand when the evidence base is sufficient, along with several other domains, um, to say, yes, my intervention may now be ready to be tested in a pragmatic trial. So um, 
we think all three of these sort of instruments, wrapped, pressy, the stage model, um, can be used sort of as complementary tools to help inform thoughtful discussion among the study team, the investigators, the partner sites, uh, to understand um, the current evidence base, how your decisions about um, the study design, how you recruit people, how you collect data, etc., place it along that continuum. Uh, and if you are ready for moving along towards a pragmatic trial, then potentially how to adjust your study design decisions to position it more in that um, area of uh, the continuum than being in a uh, ex- sort of explanatory stage. Huh, thanks. That's really, really helpful. So um, one thing that struck me during Grand Rounds, Rosa, is uh, how you explained you used the RAP model as an illustration, how it guided the focus of the pilot phase of the music and memory pragmatic trial, um, and how you used that pilot phase to make the intervention, in quotes, more ready for the pull, uh, full uh, pragmatic trials. Um, the NIA collaboratory will be funding upwards of 40 pilot studies with that exact intent, trying to make them ready for a full pragmatic trial. So, Rosa, can you comment on how you see the potential for RAP to help shape some of these pilot studies or even help shape selection of interventions that are in close close to ready, need some tweaking, or not even close to ready? So when I spoke about music and memory, we were um, applying RAP to post-talk. That was the example that we included in the paper that we published recently, but the model is relatively new. I have been applying it prospectively to some of the projects that we're considering implementing in the research center that I run here at Brown. And what I'm finding in that context and what I would recommend for the collaboratory pilots is that it's incredibly helpful to um, plot your intervention along the graphical summary wheel so that you can see at a glance where the strengths and weaknesses are and use that as a discussion guide. Um, not only to figure out when and how to proceed, how to design the study that follows, but to think about the importance of the pilot phase in addressing the weaknesses or not. You may ch- you may elect to create a study design that's um, perhaps less pragmatic in some aspect, as we did with music and memory in terms of measurement. But having that discussion and being able to use the pilot strategically to address the areas of weaknesses and to prepare yourself f- for a full trial can help you uh, position that trial to be successful. Huh, that's interesting. So I'm just looking at the RAP model, and um, it seems to me that some of these uh, spokes may be more amenable to change than others, and I'm wondering if they one really trumps another in terms of readiness. So, like, for example, the alignment spoke, uh, to what extent is the intervention aligned with external stakeholder priorities? It seems like, more or less, it a certain intervention will or won't align with stakeholders' priorities. There's not a whole lot of movement, particularly in a pilot phase, where you can go with that. Whereas something like implementation protocols, a protocol sufficiently detailed to be replicated, is a lot more amenable to tweaking. Um, so Eric, how do you see one of these spokes relative to another in terms of being more actionable or not actionable in getting your intervention ready for a pragmatic trial? Well, I think I think you're right on that. Like some of these things are um, a lot more tweakable or adjustable from the interventionist, the researcher's perspective than others. Um, 
In terms of getting ready for a pragmatic trial, um, sort of we came up with these domains based on um, sort of a, a working group discussion with experts in the field, and um, they really sort of pinpointed the, the various nine domains you, you we have in the tool as being vital towards informing whether or not um, an intervention will not only be sort of um, ready for a pragmatic trial, but part of that also means um, whether or not it will be um, accepted. So uh, there's sort of the issue of the evidence and the intervention being sort of sufficiently detailed and being able to be replicated, and that's very important, and that's something that, um, as you noted, the research team might have uh, more power in sort of um, uh, adjusting and, and working out on their own. Um, but there's other sort of external factors that impact whether or not um, the intervention will be sort of embraced and um, sort of successfully implemented. Uh, and that's where that domain of sort of alignment um, as well as we, we have a domain that's related to sort of internal stakeholders buying into it. Um, and so there are a dynamic sort of set of factors that play into whether or not um, an intervention will be not only ready for a pragmatic trial, but also sort of accepted by the individuals that are ultimately going to be the ones responsible for implementing it. Um, so we think all of these factors play into um, acceptance and readiness of an intervention for being tested in a pragmatic trial. Um, unfortunately, not all of these things are items that we can have direct control over, um, although there is room uh, within the framework to adjust. If I can just add, I think these are all dynamic um, aspects that are also quite subjective. So we're not saying that any one is more important than another. And we're also not saying that this is something that you should just look at at one point in time. You're right that from a researcher or an interventionist perspective, we have less control and maybe less understanding of the alignment and the acceptability domains. But we would hope that when an intervention is being developed, perhaps even before it's been tested for efficacy, that the stakeholders and the providers and others who are going to be affected by this intervention and called on to implement it would be involved in the design. And so there's uh, you know various uh, different times where you might employ this in different ways and use it in different context to think about how to develop and test and shift your intervention along the stages model that Eric discussed earlier. You know, one of the more challenging spokes, I think, on the RAP model in, is the evidence spoke. To what extent does evidence-based support efficacy? And, and particularly in the field of dementia research, uh, well-done efficacy trials of non-pharmacological interventions are few and far between, let alone uh, ones that are positive in terms of its findings, signaling readiness for a pragmatic trial. Also, when you shift those types of interventions from an efficacy trial to an effectiveness trial, inevitably you're changing the intervention. Um, Rosa, can, can you help us understand how you see this and how much, in quotes, proven efficacy is needed or even more or even realistic before embarking on a pragmatic trial, particularly in this field of uh, dementia research? You've highlighted, I think, one of the key aspects of RAPT, which is the value that it has as a discussion tool amongst the team, um, because I think this is something that we've talked about a lot internally here, certainly Eric and I, but also the research teams that we have for different projects, and I think it's very contextual. Um, music and memory, the example that I provided um, during the Grand Rounds last week, is an intervention where we 
explicitly made the decision to move forward even though there really isn't efficacy data. And what we're doing now in terms of our embedded pragmatic trial is something that we've sort of termed a hybrid stage two, stage three efficacy effectiveness study. Um, so that, you know, sort of points back to your question that this really is something that's difficult. And then in the field of non-drug dementia interventions, there are, yes, some interventions that have e efficacy, but then there are a lot of promising interventions that would have to be tweaked and have, do not yet have that evidence base. And at least internally here in the discussions that we've had with our research teams, we haven't let that stop us from moving ahead towards designing a pragmatic trial. Um, but it's a difficult decision and one that every research team needs to address head on. And this is a tool that can help them to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be particularly salient for the NIA Impact Collaboratory as we try to support different pilot studies and usher them to a full pragmatic trial. It's going to probably be one of our um, biggest challenges. Um, well, this has been a great discussion. Um, I want to thank you both for developing what I think will be an increasingly uh, useful tool in the field of pragmatic clinical trials. Uh, I also want to thank you for launching our Grand Rounds and um, podcast series uh, so well. So thank you both. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Susan. We both enjoyed having the opportunity to present. Great. Thank you for listening to today's Impact Laboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Please be on the lookout for our next Grand Rounds and podcast next month.